Well, good morning, church. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 145 this morning. Psalm 145. It's good to be back with you. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good. I hope you... Uh, we got a lot to be thankful for, right? And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with starting off by just saying thankful for good Thanksgiving food, right? Anybody thankful for good Thanksgiving food? Uh, all the casseroles and macaroni and cheese and deviled eggs and turkey smoked, baked, however you deep fried... Somebody stopped me after the second service and said, uh, don't forget to mention Turduncan. All right, I haven't tried that, but maybe you had that for Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, a lot to be thankful for. I, I, I love Thanksgiving. I love the food. I love football. I love the leftovers. I love just the festive uh, kind of atmosphere, the whole thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely, an, we would all agree, it's an important uh, day on our calendar, right? It's an important date uh, during our year. Uh, but it is important to stop and remember that it's a holiday meant to help us to remember something as believers that uh, about something that uh, we're called uh, to be and to strive for each day of our lives. And that's to be thankful people, to be a grateful people. All right. And so Thanksgiving is a holiday that represents something fundamental to the Christian faith, and that's gratitude. That's thankfulness, being thankful. Uh, and in Christ, again, I'll say this, we have so much to be thankful for this morning. All right, no matter your circumstances this morning, uh, I want you to know uh, that there are eternal promises that you can stand on this morning. No matter your circumstances, there are eternal rich blessings that you can count this morning. No matter your circumstances, there are eternal truths about God, who He is and who we are in light of who He is, that we can be thankful for this morning, that can produce in us an attitude of gratitude. That's what God's Word does. That's what the truth in God's Word does in our life. And a great place to go in God's Word uh, to kind of experience that is the Psalms. To see how God's Word and His truth are going to stir in us uh, an attitude of, of gratitude and gratefulness and thankfulness. And that's what we've done over the last several weeks. We faked you out on social media a little bit, uh, put something out about Christmas. We'll begin that next week, all right? Uh, this morning, we will uh, do our final part of our Songs for the Soul series. And we've studied, this will be the fourth uh, psalm this morning, the songs of the Bible, songs in the Old Testament uh, that we find there. And uh, week one, we studied uh, Psalm 73, a psalm that stirred our souls to uh, be grateful for the nearness of God. Uh, week two, we studied Psalm 32, and we left grateful for the forgiveness of God last week. Studied Psalm 103, left grateful for the faithfulness of God. And this morning, we're going to study Psalm 145, just three verses in it, and prayerfully we'll leave grateful for the greatness of God. Grateful for the greatness of God. And really, here is my prayer, is that we'll leave here grateful for this truth, that we have a God who's bigger than our ability to comprehend Him, and yet who is inviting us into a soul-stirring, soul-satisfying pursuit of eternally discovering the wonder and the greatness and the glory and the magnificence of who He is. Listen, there are, as we walk into this place today, if you don't know Christ, that's your greatest need. That's your greatest, we would call, issue, I guess. But we all have, even those of us who know Jesus, because we're walking through a broken world as people who are still works in progress spiritually, we walk in with issues today. And I want you to know this, that so many of the sin issues, so many of the sin problems in our life, so many of those things that linger, that kind of stay around, so many of those things that tower over our lives, so much of that can be boiled down to this in so many of our lives that our view of God is just too small. 
And here's what we all need today. We need a good dose of the greatness and the goodness and the majesty and the glory of God. Because when you get a biblical vision of the greatness of God, when you get a biblical vision of the glory of God, it really changes your life. It changes the way you see your life. It changes the way you treat other people who are in your life. It changes the way you see those idols that we so often cling to because in the light of His glory, they lose their luster. A renewed vision of the greatness of the glory of God, it literally changes everything. And we're going to see how that works just by looking at three verses this morning. So stand with your Bibles open, Psalm 145. And I'm going to read the first three verses. I will, David writes, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, I pray that this psalm would land on our souls today. That I pray your spirit would give us a renewed vision of your greatness this morning. Open our eyes, God. Help us to see you as our great God whose greatness is unsearchable, whose greatness is indescribable. God, you are great. You are awesome. God, we worship you this morning. You are worthy of our worship. We're thankful for you. We're thankful that you choose to love us as our great God with a great love that we don't deserve, but because of what you did through Jesus and through the gospel we can have. You are truly great, and you are greatly to be praised. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a little bit about this psalm as we jump in this morning. Uh, It's good to be back, by the way. I always miss being here with you and worshiping with you, so look forward to diving into God's Word this morning. And I want to give you a little bit of background to this psalm, Psalm uh, 145. It, uh, it's one of 75 psalms. We had already mentioned in this series that David authored most of the psalms, and this is one of 75 that he authored. But there is something unique about this one. This is the only psalm out of all the psalms that David authored that has this kind of title. You see it there above verse 1 in most of your Bibles? A song of praise of David. All right, so that, it's, it's, it's a unique title. All right, many scholars think that the way that that's laid out there and its uniqueness, it may mean that this was David's favorite psalm. This is a psalm that he would go back to when he needed rest for his soul. But there's something else about this psalm. You know, it's unique in the sense that this is the last psalm that has a title above it. The, last, the final five psalms, the final five songs in the book of Psalms, they don't have a title above each of those passages. And those chapters are chapters where we're called to praise the Lord over and over and over again. Praise the Lord, extol the Lord, bless the Lord. Uh, with, scholars call those psalms the hallelujah psalms. All right, filled with commands to glorify God, to praise Him. But here in this psalm, in Psalm 145, that's connected to those songs. It's, it's like the beginning of the end of Psalms. It's kicking off this section about praising God. Right here, what David is doing in kicking off this section is he's focusing on the object of our praise. He's focusing on the object of our worship, on the greatness of our God, who is greatly to be praised. So this psalm is focusing on our heart, in other words, on who God is. And then the last five songs, the last five psalms of the book of Psalms are what we do in light of who he is. In light of what we learn about who he is. What do we do? We praise him. We honor him. We worship him. And the reason why we're only going to look at the first three verses is because these first three verses of Psalm 145 give us somewhat of a preview as to the way that this psalm and the last five psalms are laid out. It's a little snapshot. shows us a little bit about who God is. 
and then shows us what we do in light of who he is. So we're only looking at three of them this morning, and I want to answer two questions as we look at these three verses this morning. And here's the first question. What do these verses tell us about God? What do these verses tell us about God? Now, before I answer that, I want to explain to you and remind us why that's a good question to keep asking as we study the Holy Scripture. As you are learning to be a student of God's Word, that's a question to ask over and over again as you study the whole of Scripture. What are these verses, what are they telling me, what are they telling us about God? You say, well, why is that important? Because you've got a lot of voices, other voices in the world that are telling you other things about God that aren't true. Amen. Did you know this morning that we have an enemy? That we have a real enemy in that our enemy specializes in bringing destruction through deception? Amen. He's a liar. We have an enemy who is a liar. He will lie to you about what you need in this world to make you happy, what you need in this world to make you satisfied. He will shine the things of this world up in a way that makes it look like if I just get a hold of that thing, it'll bring satisfaction for my soul. And let all of us can testify that you, once you get a hold of that thing, you find out that he's a liar. That it does not bring your life to fulfillment that it promises. He's a liar. There are marriages that have been destroyed. There are families that have been torn apart. There are jobs that have been lost. There are reputations that have been ruined. There are ministries that have been wrecked. All because of the lies of the enemy. And one of the primary ways that he lies and he deceives us is he lies to us about the person and the character of God. Let me give you four quick common ways that he will lie to us about who God is. These are lies from the enemy. First common lie about God is the way that he'll lie to us is he will try to convince us that God is a cosmic killjoy and some kind of ruthless dictator over our life who demands perfection and hates anything fun. Right, who takes great pleasure in just sitting back and waiting for anybody and waiting for you to stumble so he can crack you over the head. You know what that is? That's a lie. There are believers who are falling for that lie this morning. That's not who God is. Hey, you, if you're falling for that lie, you know what your heart needs? It needs to be exposed to the truth of God's word about who God is. You need to read Romans 8. Romans 8 that begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. That begins with there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and ends by celebrating that there's no separation from the love of God, the relentless, never stopping, never quitting love of God over our lives as believers. The second lie that he'll lie to you about, he'll, he'll, the second lie he'll tell you about the person and character of God is that God's too big for the problems of our life. That he's, hey, he's busy managing this universe, this big universe, so why in the world would he have time to deal with with the problems in my little old life, right? Have you ever, some of you have been, maybe you're in that place this morning. Some of you have been in that place where life gets hard and you genuinely, you're a Christ follower, but you genuinely begin to doubt. You begin to wonder, does God really care about me? Has God forgotten about me? Does God really love me? You know what that is? That's a temptation to buy and to believe the lie of the enemy about God. You know what Matthew 6 says? Matthew 6 says that God tends to every little detail of a little bird's life. And goes on to say, are you not more of more value than they to God? The third lie is this. Uh, a big, these are big common lies. I don't have time to cover all of them uh, this morning or a huge list. But a third one would be this, that God exists to make me happy. Around here we've called that vending machine faith. It's a false faith. It's the idea that the goal of Christianity is that Jesus wants to make you healthy and wealthy and double blessed and highly favored and to give you a little best life right now in this world. Listen, that is a lie from the enemy about God. 
That coming to Jesus is like coming to this glorious vending machine who gives you all the goodies and treats and, and things that you want, that you think in your flesh that you need in this world to make you fulfilled and happy. That's a lie. That's not the gospel. Philippians 3, 7 declares the gospel truth that Christ is our treasure. That He is the treat. Right? He's not a means to the end. He's the end worth having. And in Him we're gloriously rich. A fourth lie. And this may be the worst lie of all that the enemy will sell you by the person and character of God. And it's this, that God is a, is a lot like us and just like us when it comes to limitations. We've gone over that, haven't we? We covered that a few weeks ago, right? That, yeah, he'll forgive you, but don't push it. He's got limits, right? He's good and he's gracious, but there's a limit to You know what that is? That's a lie. Psalm 32, what is it? It squashes that lie. Because it says this, we've covered it. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is eternally covered. Against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Believer, I, I did that little exercise. We walked through that so you know the key, a key to the Christian life is exposing over and over again the lies of the enemy with the truth of God found in his word and by faith believing that truth. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at three big truths in just three small verses this morning. And we're going re- to see how this reveals and exposes lies in our hearts about who God is. And by the grace of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we pray that we'll believe these truths and that it'll produce in us a renewed faith in Him. So these first three verses, they're going to help us answer that question of what, the, what does this tell us about God? Number one, this is what it tells us about God. Our God, very simple point, so I'm just going to let it sit out there for a second. Our God is God. Amen. Our God is God. The first title that David uses right here to address the one who is the object of our worship, who is the object of our praise, is the name God. Verse 1, what does he say? I will extol you, my God. That word God right there, that's the Hebrew word Elohim. It's the most common term used to describe the person of God and character of God in the Old Testament. It's a term that's meant, it's it's a rich term, it's a rich word. It's meant to communicate the otherness of God. That he's the one and only true living God. There's not a, many gods. There's not a short list of gods. There's one God. And his name is Elohim. Again, it's a rich word. A lot of layers to this word. It's a name that speaks to the brilliance and the majesty and the bigness and the transcendence of God. Let me give you an example of just how many layers are here how rich this is. We're just going to move into We're just going to press into this word just a little bit and watch what happens. Elohim. Right? Because what you find is you just begin a word study on this word Elohim, you find that it's also a plural noun. I right? think about that. Elohim, we already just covered, is the one true, one true living God. But it's also plural. It's a plural noun in the Hebrew. What does that make you think of? Should make you think of the Trinity. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, right? Just a quick look at that name makes us see the transcendence and the wonder of God. He's God. He's one God, he's the one and only true God, but he manifests himself in three distinct persons. You say, well, I'm going to need you to like explain that because how can there be one God that eternally exists in three persons? You said they're all distinct, but they're all one. I don't understand. Can you just try to, can you explain that to me in layman's terms? No. You see, there are some things about God that are way bigger and beyond our capacity, the capacity in our brains to grasp them. And I want you to know this morning, that is a very good thing. 
If everything about God fits into this little brain right here, he, hey, he ain't a God worth worshiping. God is bigger than our ability to comprehend. God is bigger than our ability to understand fully. God is beyond our comprehension. His ways are higher than our ways. So much of who He is and His works are beyond our understanding. But don't let that bother you. Don't let that rattle you. Don't let that shake you up. Don't let that disturb you. Listen, I don't understand how a black cow can eat green grass and drink clear water, produce white milk that produces yellow butter and orange cheese and helps make strawberry ice cream. But you know what, I, you know what that doesn't stop me from doing? Taking my spoon and getting a big scoop of it, enjoying it. The joy of a big spoonful of ice cream. Anybody with me? Can I get an amen? Just because I don't understand everything about God doesn't mean I can't experience the joy in encountering Him, in experiencing Him, in worshiping Him, in orienting my life around Him as a God who is big and mighty and awesome and transcendent, whose ways are higher than my ways, whose worth and attributes are indescribable and beyond my comprehension. Let me just say this. That's actually where you find life. That's actually where you find meaning and purpose. Seeing Him as God, as Elohim. That's a very important truth in the world in which we live that because of the fall and because of the curse of sin, in our sin we are self-focused people. We live in a culture and a society that's a very man-centered society. Uh, uh, humanity has put humanity at the center of the story. I like the way one author I read put it. He said, we all need a Copernicum revolution of the soul. Copernicus was an astronomer in the 15th century who was the first to discover that the earth wasn't in the middle of the universe. Right? At that point, everybody just assumed that everything rotated around the earth. So he's the guy that discovered that, no, at least in our solar system, that everything revolves around what? Around the sun. It's called, it was called the Copernicum Revolution of Science. The discovery that we're not at the center of everything, that we orbit around something much bigger than ourselves. And I want you to hear me this morning. First, you'll never experience salvation, but you'll also not walk as a believer in the purpose and meaning and joy and satisfaction available to you until you have a Copernicum revolution of the soul, an ongoing Copernicum revolution of the soul to where your eyes are open to the truth that God's not just another planet that we invite into our life to revolve around us. He's Elohim. He's the God of the universe whom my life orbits around. And that truth, again, is very important for us as believers to keep in our hearts. Because if we're not careful, what can happen is that man-centeredness can begin to creep into our church. Man-centered thought, theology can begin to creep into the church. Songs that are centered around man, the felt needs of man can begin to creep into the church. But what this truth reminds us of Elohim, God is God, it ain't about us. It's all about the glory of God. Number two, our God is the sovereign king of the universe. Our God is God and our God is king. Next, David says, I will extol you, my God and king. And that word king right there, you see it over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. It's a title that communicates power. It's a title that communicates authority and, and the sovereignty of God in the universe. And here, here's what that means. Let me just boil it down to just this phrase. It means he rules over everything. It means he rules over all of it. All right, let me say it another way. It means he is in total control. 
You know what that means? It means he's not someone who created everything and then just kind of wound it all up and let it go, and then he just kind of passively stepped back to watch how it all unfolds. That's a lie that the enemy would have you believe. But what this Bible, what the Word of God shows us is truth, that he's king, that God's sitting on the throne of the universe, that he's in the control center of the world. Listen to the way that Isaiah describes God in Isaiah 66. I love this. Listen to this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That's who our God is. That's who he truly is. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Some of you need a renewed vision, that renewed vision of God in your heart this morning, who's on his throne, who's got the whole world in his hands, even your world, even your life that you're living right now because something's happened in your life that maybe has shaken things up that's caused you to doubt who he is. Some circumstance in your life. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe it's with your job. Maybe it's connected to your finances. Maybe it's in your marriage relationship. Maybe it's something going on in your family. There's something going on in your life where things have been shaken up and where things feel out of control and where you're tempted to lose hope. And what these passages do, these passages in Psalm, these passages in Isaiah and all over Scripture that lift God up as the sovereign king of the universe is it makes you believe or realize that this is his world. This is my father's world. He's in control. And that means I got every reason to hope and no reason to lose hope. God is king. He's sitting on the throne. He's in control. Hey, he hasn't forgotten you this morning. Look, listen. Listen to the word of God. He has not forgotten you this morning. He's not stepped away from the control room. He hasn't stopped loving you. He hasn't stopped unfolding his perfect plan for your life. He's not lost control of this world. He's not lost control of the circumstances of your life. The enemy wants you to believe that. The enemy wants you to lose hope. The enemy will lie to you and tell you, hey, look, things are out of control. They may genuinely feel out of control, but you've got to get your eyes off of your circumstances and stop listening to the lies of the enemy and see God on his throne. Amen. Lean back with his feet on the earth is his footstool. He's not nervously on the edge of his seat. You know, wondering how things are going to end up in your life. Hoping it all ends up okay. He's not nervously on the edge of his seat. I, I was nervously on the edge of my seat watching a football game Friday night. Some of y'all are with me? Right? That was me. I was watching it, right? You know, you know how I wasn't watching it? I wasn't watching it reclined with my feet upon the footstool. Calm and collected. Now, I was a little nervous. Right? I was doing my little nervous, stressed out, pacing to the kitchen to get me a little snack, turning my back. I didn't want to see. I was a little nervous about how that thing was going to end up. I was on the edge of my seat going, go, Gators, go, let's go. Another penalty. No, what are you doing? You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that the God who is watching the circumstances of my life unfold isn't watching them like me watching that game Friday night. I'm thankful for that. He's king. Third thing, our God is personable. Our God is personable. Another way to say that is our God is knowable. All right? don't, don't miss a very important word in those verses there. What does he say? I will extol you, the God and king. Are you looking at your Bible? I will extol you. No, it says my God and king. 
It'd be one thing if he said, I'll extol you the God. But he used that little word there, my. That, that's, that's a personal program, a pronoun that emphasizes what a personal relationship. David said, my God. He didn't say a God. He didn't say the God. He says, my God. You know what that means this morning? It means no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, that it is possible for you to experience a personal relationship with Elohim, with God, with the King of the universe. This morning, he isn't a, far, a God far, in a galaxy far, far away who you can't have a personal relationship with. This is the glorious truth of Christianity that God, yes, is bigger than our ability to comprehend, but he's also a God who has invited us into a relationship with him, into a soul-stirring, soul-satisfying pursuit of eternally discovering the goodness and the greatness and the glory, the brilliance of who he is. Hey, we don't deserve that, but because of Jesus, we can have that. You don't deserve that, and I don't deserve that this morning, but because of Jesus, we can have that. See, some of you don't know him today. You don't have a relationship with God. You don't have a relationship with this king. And if that's you, in just a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your personal Lord and Savior. You have an opportunity to have your sins forgiven. You're going to have your, an opportunity to experience freedom from the penalty of your sin in hell. The power of your sin and to live a victorious life in Christ on this earth and to one day experience freedom from the presence of sin. You're going to have an opportunity in a moment to, have a, to experience a personal relationship with God and to move forward with your sins forgiven and to experience a soul-satisfying, restored, personal relationship with Him. If you don't know Him today, you're going to have an opportunity in a moment to know Him. If you do know Him today, you know what we all need? You know what all of us need today? We need to fix our eyes in a fresh way on our personal great God and King. And in light of the wonder and greatness of who He is, we need to do what David says to do next. See, that's who He is. That was the first question this morning. That's who He is. He's our God. He's our King. He's personable. And number two, here's the question that we're going to answer. How should we respond to who He is? If that's who he is, then how do we respond? David gives us three ways. He gives us three words. Extol, bless, and praise. Extol, bless, and praise. The first word there is extol. He says, I will extol you. What does that mean? It's a word that literally means to raise something up high. In other words, it means I should honor God in my life because of who he is above everything and everyone in my life. Which transitions right into the next response word, which is bless. The word bless, that comes from a word that means to bend the knee. It's the idea of submission. Like in those ancient days when you came into the presence of a king, you would bend your knee. You would bow down. Why? That signified submission to that king's rule and power and authority. And what does David say right there? God, I am to, because of who you are, because you are God and because you are king, now my response to you is to bless you. But he adds something there. He says to bless you forever and ever. The king who has saved our soul forever forever is worthy of us praising him and blessing him forever Amen. and right now begins forever for the christian forever and ever that describes an ongoing continuous rhythm of my life you see something similar in verse 2 he says every day i will bless you he's describing describing an every it's very simple every day an every minute of a 24-hour day right there that's what he's describing 
Here's the point. Because he's God, because he's king, and every day of my life is his. My entire year is his. He's worthy to be blessed with my life and for me to have a bended knee before him every month of this year, every day of this month, every moment of this day. Because he's God. Because he's king. Because he's worthy. David says every day. Every day. Let me ask you something. What's on your schedule for tomorrow? What's on your agenda for tomorrow? We got agendas. You're already thinking about what you're going to do this week. You got a calendar, many of you. What's on your agenda? You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to know all the time when I was young what, what we were doing on that day. I drove my parents crazy. All right, what are we doing today? Where are we going? And I just want you to know I'm being paid back for that right now. <laughs> to my seven-year-old son named Max. Max wants to know, hey, hey, that boy, he has a gift of gab. He goes to sleep talking. He wakes up talking. He wants to know the agenda. We went on a trip this past week up to the mountains. Had a great time. Uh, but I'm telling you, we get into the car. He buckles his seatbelt. We're not out of the driveway before he's going, hey, how long till we get into Georgia? How long do we get out of Florida? When are we going to make our next stop? We get into Georgia. How long do we get to South Carolina? How long do we get to South Carolina? Every 10 minutes. How long do we get to South Carolina? It's going to be a little longer. It's like, how big is Georgia? He said that like 12 times in Georgia. He loves to talk. Sometimes it gets him into a little bit of trouble. All right? So uh, he, he's quick. He's got a quick wit. All right? So we, we stopped for gas uh, along the way, somewhere along the way. And he was, he was running his mouth. He was talking, you know, and just kind of pushing buttons. And I would just made the joke because we were about to leave that gas station. I said, Max, if you don't, if you don't stop, I'm going to leave you here at the Circle K. And we'll pick you up on the way back home. And he didn't miss a beat. He said, well, leave me some money. But this past week, he, a couple of times he'd come into our room, you know, he'd wake you up. Dad, Dad, what are we doing today? What's on the agenda is what he was saying. What's on the agenda? In his own little words, what's on the agenda? I'm like, man, I haven't even got a cup of coffee yet. That's on my agenda. I can't see past that right now, Mac. You're going to have to give me a second. What are we doing next? Where are we going? Let me turn into Max in your life for a moment. What's on your agenda for the rest of the day? What's on your schedule for tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday? And here's what David's saying. Whatever it is, whatever you plan to do, believer, in every moment, you do whatever you do in the spirit of verse 2. Every day, I will bless you. Every day, I will submit to you. That's the life of an everyday Christian. So here's the question. If that's true, in light of who he is as king, if I'm called to bless this king who saved me for eternity, forever, with every moment of my life, the question is, is there an area of my life that I'm not living in submission to the will of God? Where are you not blessing your God as the king of your life? Think about it in your life. Is it with your words? Is it with your actions? Is it with your reactions? Is it with your habits? Is it with your attitude in your relationship? Is there something right now that God's showing you right now in your life, an area that you need to surrender to him? And my question is, are you willing to surrender that to him? If not, why not? If not, why not? And I'll tell you why not. For some of you, you believe the, the lie of the enemy. 
A big lie that the enemy will tell you and that a lot of us will buy is that although through, through his love for us this morning, through his word, that through a, a gift has convicted your heart about something that you need to surrender, what you will do is you'll believe the lie of the enemy that your way is better. That your agenda is better than his. You might not say that. But with your life, you very well may be saying that to God. I know more than you, God. And you've bought a lie of the enemy. And I just want to tell you, because I love you, and I'm simply telling you what God's word shows us, is that the lie of the enemy, it will lead you to destruction. But here's what you can do this morning. You can make a fresh run to God. And in light of who he is, in light of a benev- being a benevolent king, a good God who loves us, you can surrender that area to him and enjoy the blessing of living a surrendered life. David says, in light of who God is, he says, I'll extol him. He says, every day I'll bless him. And then he says, every day I will what? Every day I will, last word, praise. I will praise your name forever and ever. That, that word right there, it's a word that literally means to shine. It means to shout. It means to declare. It means to celebrate. In the Old Testament, it's usually a word that's connected with the ministry of the Levites and as they praised God through song. And we're going to do that in just a moment. You're going to have an opportunity in light of who God is. And, and as your heart's been filled up with a fresh reminder of who he is, you're going to have an opportunity to praise him through song in just a moment. But I want you to know that praising God is not something that's relegated to a time of singing with your brothers and sisters on Sunday morning. That's an important part of our life as a church and as Christians. But that's not the extent of what it means to praise God. You know what we're called to do? We're called to praise Him with our entire lives. Amen. You say, why? Well, look at verse 3. Because He's great. And He's greatly to be praised. Because He's great. Just in this, li- this little collection of verses. Because he's great. How do I know he's great? Just look at those verses. Because he's God. He's a good God. Because he's king. He's a benevolent king. Because he's in control. Because he's our God who's good and he's great all the time. And because that is true, he's greatly to be praised in my life. When my heart is being fed truths about the goodness and the greatness of God, the result is great praise that corresponds with his greatness. In his awesomeness, in his majesty, in his great faithfulness that's again communicated to us through his word. And here's the thing. Look what he says in verse 3. David says, hey, his greatness that you learn about through primarily the revelation, the special revelation of God's word, he says it's unsearchable. It's unsearchable. You can't get to the depths of it. The gospel's simple enough for a child to understand it and yet profound enough that all eternity is not sufficient enough to plumb the depths of it. Paul said it like this in Romans 11. Unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable are his ways. And here's the awesome. Unscrutable are his ways. Unsearchable are his judgments. His greatness is unsearchable is the way David says it. And here's the awesome reality, the awesome gospel reality for believers is that every day, although that is true, every day the Lord invites us to step in and explore the depths of who He is in His Word. We'll never reach 
the bottom of his unsearchable greatness. And yet every day he invites us to dive into the depths and behold the treasure of who he is. And to get a daily dose of his greatness and his majesty and his glory that can produce a great joy and a great peace and great praise in our lives. Believer, look here. The treasure's here. It's right here. It's right beneath us. It's right under our noses. The revealed greatness of the glory of God is waiting right here to be touched, to be pondered, to be studied. Every single day that results in us being worshipful and thankful and praising that God is so good to us. It's right beneath us. I read a story this week about a ship that in 1857 wrecked along the coast of South Carolina. The ship was called the SS Central America. And one night, uh, that ship sailed right into a hurricane in 1857. And the hurricane tore it apart. The ship obviously sunk to the bottom, to the ocean floor. Along with it, uh, 425 people perished in that shipwreck. But another thing that was lost in that ship that sank to the ocean floor was a treasure. True story, you can look it up. SS Central America. And it was a treasure of gold that was collected from the gold rush. And it was a treasure of over three tons of gold, equivalent today to $400 million. So in 1857, think about it, off the coast of South Carolina, this treasure sunk to the bottom of the ocean floor, and it stayed there until the 1980s. Until a guy named uh, Tommy Thompson, who was like this obsessed uh, shipwreck chaser guy, he built an underwater robot, also an engineer, called Nemo the name of the robot that helped him track down the SS Central America the ship off the coast of South Carolina and he got to the ocean floor finds it and also recovers and finds the treasure that was on board found it I heard that story and and here's what I thought about I thought about the fact that for 130 years off the coast of South Carolina on the ocean floor right there there that treasure sat untouched so think about that for a moment. Like how many times did a boat drive right over top of where that treasure was at? How many families went and vacationed on the shore right there just near where off the coast of South Carolina that treasure was? Some of you, maybe 60s, 70s, or 80s, went with your family to the beaches of South Carolina. And certainly when they, can you imagine what those folks felt like when they found this treasure? Oh my goodness, it was right there. It was right there ready to be found but nobody ever found it until somebody was willing to dive down and find it. And I read that story and it reminded us and it reminded me of the treasure that lays before us and just beneath us every single day of our life. Every day the Lord inviting us to explore the depths of who He is and discover the treasure of His glory through His Word. And here's the reality. Here it is. A treasure, hey, infinitely more valuable than $400 million of gold. Right here beneath us every single day. And how true is this, that for most of us, every single day, right over top of it. Busy with the things of life that we tend to get busy with. Another day right over top of it. And I just wonder how many, and I want to talk to saved folks this morning. I want to talk to those of you who are believers. That's true, isn't it? But I want you to listen to this. I wonder how many of you here, you're saved, you're a believer, but things in your life feel off 
spiritually? Feel spiritually unhealthy? Maybe it's relational conflict. Maybe you have lingering sin in your life, lingering fears, lingering worries. You're spiritually apathetic. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit is using this passage this morning to reveal that so much of your spiritual issues and problems can be reduced down to this, that you have lost your awe for God. How dangerous it is for a disciple to lose their awe of God, but it can happen. And the problem is your view of God is way too small. Hey, God hasn't changed. God hasn't weakened. But maybe your view of him in your heart has. For many of us, we need to take a fresh run at God and to dive back and, and discover the treasure of his glory all over again. Start with these three verses this morning. Just in these three verses, we see the greatness of God that can wake us up and create a response to him in light of who he is that honors him. And maybe in your heart, it's a prayer like, God, I see who you are in this passage. God, you are good. God, you are God. There is no other God but you. I see that this morning. God, you are my king. God, you are on your throne. God, you are in control. And what a humbling and amazing truth it is that that, that I can know you. That I can know you, and yet I haven't been near to you. My eyes have been off of you as you're revealed through your word. My eyes have been on myself. My eyes have been on my circumstances, on my will, on my desires. I've been self-centered. I've been enamored by the things of this world. I bought the lies of the enemy. But God, I see today that you alone are worthy of my praise. Forgive me for how I've strayed. And I extol you and I bless you and I praise you because you are good and you're loving and you saved me and you are great and you are greatly to be praised every day of my life and I don't want to skim across the treasures anymore I believe that's a prayer that at some level all of us as believers can pray this morning Shinna you want to know what I'm grateful for as we finish up this study called songs for the soul you want to know what I'm grateful for as we study these few verses just three three Out of 31,000 verses in the Bible, we've just looked at three. We've just skimmed the surface. I'm thankful for the greatness of God. I'm thankful that our great God would save me and call me into an eternity of discovering the glorious, unsearchable depths of who He is. What a privilege that is. I'm thankful for a great God who shows me such great love and grace. And calls me into a relationship with himself through his word. What a privilege. Hey, not a privilege to be taken for granted. A privilege to praise him for this morning. Let's pray.